Hi everyone, you're listening to Latinas with Masters podcast. Like and subscribe and comment down below. Thank you for listening. everyone you are listening to latinas with masters podcast um double hello if you're listening to us and watching us um i say us but it's really just me right um and i will be uploading a video version of this um, as i'm recording this podcast um on my instagram page because i feel like it's also important to have that connection visually with the information that i'm providing you and the information that i'm providing you today which is episode number two um will be the housing series on latinas with masters and i want to talk to you guys about um housing policies um in place right now uh for you to look for an apartment you know um because of covid we all had to shift um, you know, our housing situation, rather it's permanent or temporary. Um, but it came very rushed um, under the circumstances that we were in, right? A lot of college students were living in a dorm and now, you know, we're told that they need to leave the college dorm and they had to look for uh, housing elsewhere. Rather you decided to move back with your family or you moved in with one of your friends or you had to find a roommate situation. Um, there were, uh, a couple of things that you had to, you know, you had a criteria, you had a checklist, right, of the things that you looked forward to in in a housing um, environment. But other things got missed or got overlooked, again, because you had to do it in such, you know, um, a, a, in a tight schedule. Uh, and so I want to provide this information to you guys because I want you guys to be prepared to find the right housing for you. Even if it's the right housing for you temporarily for the semester, um, at least you have an idea or a guideline of what to look for in the future when you do want to look for permanent housing or when you want to um, have an agreement, an agreement with the roommate. Um, what questions to ask, um, not only in the current housing um environment that you're in but then also to landlords as well right even if it's a private landlord or if it's a property management company or if you're renting a home these are the common questions that you should always ask when looking for um, a new home you know rather that be an apartment a home it doesn't matter a home is a home and i want to make sure that you guys are set up for success when it comes to looking for an apartment um, so I'm not too sure if a lot of people know this, but I actually work in property management. I do marketing for apartments. Um, so all of the advertising um, listings that you see in apartments.com, um, on um, Craigslist sometimes, I guide people on how to post um, listings on Craigslist, um, as well as uh, rent.com and Zumper, all the traditional apartment search engines. Um, I assist my company in the content and the photos and just, you know, everything that when it comes to advertising an apartment. Um, but within that, I also was a property manager. I did work on site managing people's homes and, and um, maintaining the operations and staff and, and assisting with maintenance requests and so forth. So I definitely know firsthand, um, you know, the information that we look for in applicants, right? And I want to educate you guys on that information you know there's certain things as a company um, even as a landlord 
there are fair housing laws in place that has to be followed um, for that particular reason, right? We have to make sure that we're fair and consistent with every single applicant. Doesn't matter um, your race, your ethnicity, your gender, none of that. It has to be just based on income and credit and if you qualify. So again, I'm gonna go deeper in that information, but um, I, I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of a background of where I'm coming from. But then also, I was a renter. I was a renter my whole life, you know. Um, my dad used to work in property management. He was a maintenance supervisor, you know, and I lived in an apartment um, because the apartment was included in his salary. And so we had, um, you know, I had a roof over my head. I definitely lived in an apartment, in several apartments um, from, you know, living in Daly City and moving to Mountain View and Cupertino, which is why I have so... Uh, so much like diversity in my educational background is because we moved because of my um, my dad's employment. Um, and thankfully they were because of promotions, right? Um, but at the same time, you know, I also lived with my mom who at that time, you know, when I was younger, they were divorced. And so I lived in San Francisco. I lived in the one room, you know, um, single mother with kids um, as well. And so I definitely have a diverse um background when it comes to housing and I definitely am a firm believer that it has shaped um the the reason why I'm in housing um is because I was a renter you know my whole life from childhood into adulthood and I did have a landlord that wasn't as generous or nice as well and so I also had to check her um with how to um you know run run an apartment and the response I got was the response that I got from her was, if you don't like the way that I run my business, then you can live elsewhere. And that motivated me for me to buy my my home where I'm in now. Um, but not every landlord is like that. You know, you do have some good landlords that genuinely care about their residents. And I felt that with the positions that I used to have as property manager, I was also that agent. I, I cared deeply about my residents and I always wanted the best outcome for them. And if I wasn't able to help them, I guided them to um, organizations that assist with, you know, um, with security deposits and paying for rent and um, legal services. And so all that ties in together. You know, a lot of people um, don't think that it does, but it really does. And and I, I've assisted everyone from, you know, um, residents that are students, residents that um, are in, uh, that are elders um, and just just everyone in general, right? A, a large demographic of different social economic backgrounds. And so that's why I'm so passionate about housing is because there's so much potential and there's so much that we can know um, about housing. And I don't, I don't see it. I don't know where or why we are not doing it. And so I decided to change that. And I want to give two shout outs um, to people that have motivated me uh, to start this particular series. Uh, the first one is Estrellita from Cafecito con Estrella. And I had a retreat with her um, with other, you know, high um, uh, educators that create content for you guys. And, you know, I, I always wanted to create the series, but I just didn't know how. And right now I'm just doing it, you know, by reaching out to community um, colleges, like I did one at Solano County. Um, I also, not Solano County, I'm sorry, Solano Community College 
to the Puente program. I did another one for UC uh, Berkeley and um, I did one for SS State, which I'm going to do one again. And I'm so excited because that's where I'm from. Um, but, you know, I was doing these housing education workshops, you know, but, you know, I'm those are, you know, within a time period and they have to squeeze me in and so forth, which is totally fine. I'm, I'm grateful for what I can get. But, you know, I, I for some reason, I never thought about really using my platform and podcasting and Instagram and, and making it into a housing series, right? And so I want to give her a shout out because I procrastinated in creating this video. But she, what she said to me was, you know, think of creating your podcast episode, the solo ones, you know, not the ones with, with uh, the guest, or you can do it with the guest one too. But I guess specifically what reached to me was, the solo ones are your self-care you know this is where you can fulfill you know um the self-care self-love that you crave for you know and i definitely crave for this and you know as a wife and a full-time um you know i work full-time you know um, i'm a doctorate student um, i have kids like i'm trying to squeeze everything in but i definitely have to make the dedication to create the self-care solo episodes so shout out to Estrellita um the other person I would like to shout out that I've recently met and we're totally going to connect is um Perez advisor and you know um you guys see me post or repost a lot of his content definitely go follow his Instagram page but you know he was kind of we're getting to know each other and just kind of like hey I love your content hey what's up like I see that he definitely you know has the um, you know, reaching out to like men and men in trauma. And it's something that, you know, is very much needed in, in the space and the conversation, especially in our culture, right? Um, we need to talk about mental health. And so um, we're going to definitely collaborate together. But I would, you know, we were definitely talking about, um, you know, like me growing up in San Francisco and being a Latina and I work in housing and how I want to connect and bridge, you know, higher education and housing. And he's like, let's do that. Let's, let's bridge, you know, let's bridge that gap between higher education and housing and so forth. And so again, it's something that's always been on my mind. And I feel like when it comes to everything else, I'm very like, yeah, do it. And, you know, I motivate you guys. And then when it comes to myself, I, I just, I don't know. It's not, I, I definitely procrastinate. So I'm definitely going to admit to that, but I, I just, I just needed to hear those words. Like, yes, let's do it. Like, I, you know, just him saying it and just, you know, believing in it. And the two seconds that I said it, it was just like, I have something here. And so Again, thank you, Estrellita. Thank you, but as an advisor for giving me the courage and the motivation to create this particular podcast episode, which is the second episode in Latinas with Masters. So without further ado, that's that's enough about me um, and everything, but I definitely would like to give you guys some background as to why I'm creating these episodes, why I'm creating this video, you know, what's my mindset, my headspace, you know. Um, I definitely, you know, want to create quality content um, and not just, you know, create episodes just to create episodes. Like I definitely want the information that I'm providing to you guys to be beneficial, rather that's to you or to your family, or if you're able to, you know, forward this information over to somebody else who needs to hear it. I mean, that's what this content is here for. Um, again, so before we start off, I definitely want to let you know that 
The information that I am providing um, is information for educational purposes um, and does not substitute for legal advice. So for any reason you are in a legal jam, please reach out to a legal consultant, an attorney, somebody that went to school that is, you know, the expert into law. Um, I can definitely refer you to a lot of, um, you know, Bay Area resources um, or even resources in general that assist with legal advice. Um, if you're low income or if you're in an impacted area, there's definitely organizations out there um, that can assist you with that. Um, but the first thing I want to talk to you guys um, about is, and this is more about applying for the apartment, right? This is the step um, as far as you looked for an apartment, right? You've been on every, you know, apartment website, you found the apartment, the price is right, it's in a great area, um, you already did all of that work, and now you're like, okay, I want to apply for this apartment, what do I need to do, right? What questions do I need to ask? What's going to be expected of me? That is the process that I will be um, explaining, is when, you, um, when you're applying for an apartment, you want to make sure that you know the following information. So the first one I want to talk to you guys about is how much is the application fee and what are the qualifications to apply for the apartment? What financial documents do I need? So I also want to let you guys know that um, a lot of places will charge an application fee and that is um, standard. I know some people feel like you know, hey, I'm getting ripped off, or why do I even have to pay for an application fee? An application fee is charged to run your credit. Um, and that can include administration costs to process your, your rental application, um, you know, for the agent. Um, you may also uh, be able to save some money if the landlord or the rental agency allows you to bring your current copy of a recent credit report from any of the three major credit report agencies. So rather that's Experian, TransUnion, or Equifax. And you can also um, retrieve a free copy of your credit report um, at annualcreditreport.com. Um, you're able to get a free credit report from each of those agencies once a year, um, and that's open to everyone. Um, but I wanna talk to you about the um, application screening. Um, sometimes it will waive the application fee, you know, if they feel that that is um, something that is uh, an obstacle or or if they're not seeing a lot of traffic coming in, um, like we have all these apartments available, why is anybody not applying, you know, let's just waive the application fee. So that's why you see that um, on some of the uh, apartment listings when it says waived application fees, it's because we're trying to rent them and we need you guys to rent them. And if it's ch if charging you 30 bucks, 40 bucks, 50 bucks um, is going to um, create the sale of you being uh, able to apply for the apartment, then we're going to do so. Um, but just to let you know that when an application, uh, a company, um, waives the application fee the company still pays for that so we do not get that for free we do hire an agency to screen our applications and we do have to pay those fees rather the landlord pays it or the management company pays it um it's something that we do pay for so um again if you're getting it for free kudos but as a business we still got to pay for it so but the other thing um i want to talk to you guys about is the rental qualifications when you apply for an apartment they're going to ask you um, they're going to ask you 
that you need to make at least a certain amount of the gross income of the apartment. Um, the rental qualification for the apartment will vary. Every apartment industry has, or every apartment company has their own criteria. There isn't a standard um, uh, per se, but usually I've seen anywhere between 2.5 and 3% gross income. And you need to have a good rental history and a good uh, credit history. So um, as far as the uh, rental qualifications, for example, if the rent is $2,000, the applicant has to make a minimum of $5,000 per month. So it's $2,000 times two and a half, right? Um, equals $5,000. Um, or you can also, um, so that, that's it. Sorry, I was looking at something else. $2,000, multiply that by two and a half equals $5,000. So what you want to do is what whatever your annual income is say you make you know sixty thousand a year you divide that by 12 months and the gross income that you make in those 12 months you want to divide it by the rental amount and then that's how we determine if you make two and a half or three times of the rent so i know it's a little bit confusing um but again just multiply two and a half times whatever the amount is and that's the minimum amount that you have to make um, gross income. And if you are applying by yourself, you have to make that by yourself. If you're applying as um, as a household, you know, husband, wife, and an adult over 18, it's everybody's income combined. So the more income you have, the better um, to make that qualification. If for any reason you're unable to um, meet that qualification, then um, sometimes they will ask you to pay for a higher deposit and that's perfectly normal. Um, for example, if your deposit is $500, they might ask you to pay $1,000 or they might ask you to pay the full month's rent of $2,000. And so that's how that works um, for that particular process. Good rental history means you haven't been evicted at the end of the day. Um, you know, we may, we may contact the landlord, um, and ask them, um, you know, Hey, has Christina Rodriguez lived at this location? Did she live during these dates? And would you re-rent to her again? Those are the three questions that they're supposed to be asking. I should not be asking anything else about the renter. Uh, rather they pay rent on time. I think it's kind of like a fine line. Um, and you know, did you have any complaints about them is also a fine line. Um, I personally would only ask those three things. If they say no, um, I might go into asking why, but, um, but then if I do it for one applicant, I have to do it for every single applicant and I don't have time for that. Like I have like, you know, I, I would go by what the policy was, you know, and if my company says, yes, you have to ask them if they say no, then I would do it. But if there wasn't any particular requirement and they would say no, I just said, okay, thank you. And then I would just, you know, if they qualify for everything else and they qualify, you know, two out of three or whichever that is. So again, good rental history means you do not have any evictions or you don't own, uh, owe, sorry, any money to any landlords. So when you get evicted and when you, um, owe money and, um, and they send it to a collection agency, the collection agency makes a report to the three credit bureaus that you owe money. And so that is listed under eviction slash foreclosure. It's not just like, Hey, they only owe utilities or Hey, they only owe this. No, it's like 
all that money goes into one particular category on your credit report um public record it goes under evictions and foreclosures and so that stays on your credit for seven years and so again please be very mindful when you owe money um, to a landlord or to a, a rental agency, make sure you make a payment arrangement, make sure you have it in writing um, and continue on with those payments. And then good credit history is because we do have an, uh, appla an, an application software or an, uh, application um, company that helps us screen the applicants, um, the credit, criteria is already set so I don't even know what that is it's already set on the back end you know through the regional manager or through the ownership of the company you know they'll say that this person needs to have a minimum of 580 credit and x amount of collections or x amount of money owed or whatever that is and so they do that because they don't want the agents to steer any particular applicant from applying um, or for not applying for that case so when someone says, hey, you know, I have bad credit history, I don't know if I'm going to qualify, I always recommend everyone to apply because what you think we're looking at, we might not even look at it at all, you know? And so that's why I always recommend every, every applicant to apply because everyone's um, expectation or criteria of credit history is different. And especially now with COVID, I'm sure the, the guidelines are a little bit more lenient. But again, if you have doubts from applying, you know, please apply. Don't doubt yourself um, from not applying because you can actually um, get that apartment. Um, and then for any reason you do get denied, they have to provide you with um, a um, credit uh uh, denial letter that gives you the reasons why it got denied and then your um, copy to those free credit reports that I mentioned earlier um, and then there's just you know it's a whole letter already you know um, generated with that information and every rental agency the landlords definitely should be doing it as well if you get denied for an apartment you have the right to a credit report and then you have a right to know why you were declined so I know that was very long for just number one, but you know, this is information that I had to learn along the way. Um, and it's information that you should know as well, you know, like don't underestimate, um, that you don't have the right to know this information. And then also, uh, within the application process is the financial documents. So you will be asked for a current pay stub an offer letter. If you started a new employment or a current bank statement, um, don't be alarmed. It's all standard uh, when applying for an apartment. We do need to just, we do need to verify income and just make sure that your income qualifies for the apartment. Um, and then as far as the turnaround time, it normally takes about one to three business days uh, for us to verify all aspects of the application, employer verification, income verification, the references, the credit report, rental history. It all depends on how fast we can gather all that information. Um, and then once we have all the information, if you qualify, it will say that it's approved, you know, and then you should be getting a call saying, when can you come in and sign the lease, right? Hopefully that's the next step. If it got approved with conditions, it's going to ask you, you may have to pay an additional deposit. And if you got declined, then you should be getting that letter that I mentioned about the reasons why and where to access your credit report. So number two um, is how much is a security deposit and is the security deposit refundable? The security deposit is a deposit amount to cover any damages and move out charges for the apartment after you move out. 
the security deposit amounts vary depending on the requirements set by the landlord and rental agency. So just to let you know that in California, the maximum the maximum amount a landlord can charge you for a security deposit is based whether the unit is furnished or unfurnished. Unfurnished means the apartment is completely empty. The landlord is not giving you any furniture, right? That is considered unfurnished. Um, the maximum that they can um, charge you for a security deposit is up to two months rent. So again, if your rent is $2,000, the maximum that they can charge you is $4,000. I know it's hella, I know it's hella. Like I know it's a lot, I know it's just outrageous, but unfortunately that those are the standards for California. For a furnished rental, that's, that means the landlord is providing you with furniture. This is more traditional for corporate housing. Um, some student housing I've seen as well that they provide furniture. They can charge up to three months of security deposit. And that's because they are providing you, you know, with um, personal property now that um, if it's been damaged, then they can take that money out from the security deposit. Um, so I would definitely recommend for you to study the security deposit. This is probably the number one reason why landlords get sued um, in California. And um, I'm going to refer you to a website where you can get um, all of the renters information. It's called consumeraffairs.gov. And I want you to refer to the section 1950.5C. Um, amount that is the section where it talks about security deposits what's the maximum that landlords can rent um to you i mean charge you for the security deposit and the turnaround time that they have to provide the refund which i will also discuss um but just to let you know that um usually if you go to an apartment complex like an apartment um property management company the deposits are a little bit low. Um, they're $500, $600, or $700, depending on the size of the apartment. Um, but if they ask you for the um, the amount of the rent, it's usually because due to credit um, or there has been some issues, you know, in the area or in the apartment that the landlord has now decided to charge every single applicant with one month's rent. Again, Part of fair housing is that we have to be fair and consistent with everyone. So if we're asking one applicant that qualifies for the, for the apartment for a deposit of $500, the next applicant who qualifies for the apartment needs to um, also have a $500 security deposit. We don't get to pick and choose who gets to pay what security deposit. It absolutely has to be fair and consistent with every applicant. In the event that we do get audited or if, you know, um, fair housing agents go out and test this, which they do, there's an actual person who has a job and um, tests, you know, leasing agents with the way that they respond to certain questions just to make sure that um, there isn't any, you know, discrimination within housing, um, then that particular agency or landlord will be fined. So um, that's why it's always just best is to follow the rules um, with that particular um, uh, request for security deposit. Um, and the, another thing that you will probably see is a holding deposit. Keep in mind that a, a holding deposit um, is required at the time of the application. 
you saw this apartment, you love this apartment, and you're like, oh my God, I want this apartment. Can you please hold it for me? They're going to say, yes, I can hold it for you. To apply for the apartment, we need a holding deposit of $500 and a rental application fee. So if you put a deposit down and you submit your application, that apartment is on hold for you while you're in the process of being approved for the apartment. Now, for any reason you are not approved for the apartment, that deposit should be refundable and make sure you have that in writing or make sure that you receive a receipt that says that it's refundable. Other companies ask for a holding deposit, but then say, hey, if you get declined, this deposit is not refundable because I took the apartment off the market for you and you got declined. And within that time, I could have re-rented this apartment to somebody else who qualified. Yes, I know it's shady, but there are companies out there that do that. And so just, again, please ask if you're putting a holding deposit, make sure that it's refundable. And then within what time period is it refundable? 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours, or if my application gets declined, is my deposit holding deposit refundable? So again, please ask those questions because $500 is a lot, $99 is a lot. I don't care how much it is. Anytime someone is messing with my money, we're gonna have a problem. So I just wanna make sure that you guys definitely ask for that. Uh, number three, are any utilities included with the rent? Do I need to set up utilities in my name? So yes, you need to set up utilities in your name and utilities are sometimes included in the rent. You might get lucky, right? Common household utilities include gas, electricity, water, sewer, trash, cable, phone, and internet, right? Those are the common utilities that you have to pay. But some of the landlords will say, water and garbage is um, included in the rent. You only have to pay for gas and electricity. And so you call pg &E or you contact your electric company and you put the pg &E in your name, um, the electricity in your name. And then you have to show proof to the rental agency and to the landlord that yes, I put Christina Rodriguez, uh, the electricity is under my name. Um, and so they need proof of that because they don't want to be responsible for the electricity usage in your apartment that you're using, right? If water and sewer and trash is included, it's usually because of the way that the complex, the complex is set up. Either they don't have individual water heaters um, to, or water meters, I should say, to meter um, every apartment's water usage. And so they either just say, you know what, it's too much of a hassle. I don't wanna pay another company to calculate the, the usage. I'm just gonna pay it. Or there's other companies that say, yes, I'm gonna pay a company to just divide it between, you know, how many people live in the apartment and the square footage of their apartment, and they're gonna pay approximately, you know, this amount per month. So again, just make sure that you ask what utilities are included. Um, just because you live in an apartment, it doesn't mean that you should not pay for utilities. Unfortunately, that is something that we all have to pay for. Um, just like, you know, in a home, you have to pay for all the, the utilities. And again, it's just the way that either the landlord has it set up, or the way that they, their utilities are set up. Number four is, what is your pet policy? What is the monthly fee for the pet? Uh, I'm sorry, let me go back. What is the pet policy? What is the monthly fee for the pet and the deposit for the pet? And is a deposit for the pet refundable? Now notice how I'm saying it. I'm not saying it that this is a pet deposit. I'm saying that this is a deposit, um, for damages 
done for the pet. This is not a, a deposit because I have a pet. This is a pet. This is a deposit because of any damages that can be caused by the pet. So definitely ask them um, for their pet policy, breed restrictions, um, how many pets can you have in an apartment, um, and again, the, the deposit for the pet. Similar to an apartment security deposit, they will ask for the same amount for a, a deposit for the pet. So if your deposit is $500 and you have a dog, they'll say, okay, your, your security deposit for your apartment is $500. The deposit for the pet is another $500. So now you're paying $1,000 to move into the apartment. And then you have to pay a rent for the pet. And that is anywhere between $25. I've seen it as high as $100. I know it sucks. Why are we being charged? You know, because I have a pet. And that's just another form of um, the landlords to get income. You know, um, having a pet, is, you know, it could be costly. And, um, you know, they also want to protect their asset. And you can't be mad at that. So um, because pets are not a protected class, um, they are allowed to charge for a fee and a deposit for a pet. Um, a lot of people are like, hey, this is discrimination. You're charging me because I have a pet. Well, under fair housing laws, pet is not a protected class. It's not considered human. Um, so therefore, um, you know, they can get away with it, unfortunately. So, um, so again, you do have to pay for a deposit for the pet and you do have to pay for any um, fees for the pet. And for any reason, the your pet does any damages to the apartment, it will come out of the deposit for the pet. So replacing carpet, if there's any type of urine smells, um, odor smells, you know, we have to get that out and we have to have the apartment prepared for the next person coming in. And it's not fair that they have to smell or live with, you know, that type of damage to the apartment that they're now paying rent for. Um, so there are times where, yes, we will have to replace the carpet and we're going to have to um, have somebody come in and, you know, um, deodorize the apartment or whatever that particular situation is. And so keep that in mind is that everything that is being charged to you is so we can have it ready for the next person coming in. Now, I'm not saying that the apartment was given to you perfect. Absolutely. I agree that there's times that the apartment did not look good. And that is the landlord's fault and that is the agency's fault as to why they didn't have someone walk the apartment or make sure that these things were taken care of before the new person moves in. I was a big stickler on it. I was on top of my maintenance guys and on top of the vendors that the apartment was not clean enough. I don't like the way that this looks. You need to repaint the dining room, whatever that looks like. I made sure that the apartment looked good because this is your home and you're paying rent and you want your apartment you know, um, to look good. And so, um, I took pride in the way that I would, um, you know, uh, turn over the apartments is what they call it in the apartment industry. So, um, with that, I also want to talk to you guys about assisted animals. Now, a lot of people think that, um, or a lot of landlords feel that they have the right to charge residents who have, um, a disability animal, um, an assistive animal, and you cannot. <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you, but California says you cannot. So if you have an assistive animal, you do not need to pay for the fees and the deposits for the pet. It is unlawful uh, to condition the granting of a reasonable accommodation 
such as allowing a resident to have an assistive animal on that person paying a fee or deposit. However, the resident can still be held liable for any damages to the unit above ordinary wear and tear that is caused by the animal and those damages can be taken out of the regular security deposit the resident paid for the unit. According to HUD, an assistive animal is an animal that works, provided assistance or performs tasks for the belief of a person with a disability or provided emotional support that alleviates one or more identified symptoms or affects a person's disability. I know I completely just told you like the whole definition of what that is. So in a nutshell, landlords and agencies cannot charge you a fee or a deposit um, if you have an assisted animal. You do need to have a doctor's note um, that states this information that you need this animal. It does not need to state the reason um, due to HIPAA. but if you're, if the animal or your assisted animal um, does create damage to the apartment, then they do have a right to um, charge you those damages from your regular security deposit because you didn't uh, pay for an additional deposit, right? You weren't required to. Um, that amount will come from the regular deposit from the apartment. I hope this makes sense. I know it's a lot of information, but again, if you or someone you know has an assistive animal and you were being charged a deposit, uh, I would go back to consumeraffairs.gov and print out the section where it says that it's unlawful for them to charge you. And that should kind of clear itself out on its own, hopefully, um, and you get your money back. Um, If not, then I would definitely recommend to go get legal advice because they're not supposed to be charged. Number five, do you require to have a renter's insurance policy? This may not be optional anymore. I know when I first started um, in the industry, it was optional, but now landlords and rental agencies are like, you need to have renter's insurance if you want to live on my property. And to be honest with you, it is a blessing if you have renter's insurance. Like I really think, and I really believe actually that you should have renter's insurance just like you have car insurance and just like you have homeowner's insurance. Renter's insurance protects any damages that are done to the apartment, um, accidental damages, right? Um, But then also personal property. If someone breaks into your apartment and takes your stuff, who's going to replace that? Not the landlord, not the rental agency. Not my fault your house got broken into, right? And I know it's just like cutthroat, hardcore to tell you that. But at the end of the day, those are your personal belongings. And so you have the right to protect it. And so... I would definitely recommend for you to have renter's insurance to do that. It's very um, inexpensive. It's like anywhere between ten to twenty dollars a month, um, and the minimal minimum personal liability coverage that I would recommend would be a hundred thousand, and that's because that is the average amount that it costs for the apartment to be renovated in the event there's an accidental damage, you know, water, flood, fire, whatever that looks like, that's the average cost. And so if you have renter's insurance, you pay the deductible, and then, you know, you have up to $100,000 to recover those losses for the apartment. Yes, I've seen this happen on site. Yes, somebody almost burned down the kitchen. Yes, they were responsible for it. And thankfully they had renter's insurance because it is such a smoother process when you have renter's insurance. If not, then you would have to be paying out of pocket. And I'm pretty sure you don't want to pay for an apartment that you do not own, right? So again, please have renter's insurance. I mean, it's just a no brainer on this. Um, 
you can get renter's insurance through your current um, auto insurance policy. Like you can give them a call and say, hey, I have car insurance with you. Do you offer renter's insurance? What kind of discounts do I get? Make sure you tell them that you're a student um, and you'll get a discount, you know, for having a multi-policy um, discount on that. Um, so again, definitely look into the renter's insurance. I would recommend it if you live in a roommate situation, if you live in a home, if you live um, in an apartment agency, in a landlord situation, whatever that looks like, anywhere that you're renting, I would have renter's insurance because in some cases it even includes damages to your car. Like if your car was parked underneath the garage of the apartment complex and someone broke into your car and stole your laptop, for example, and your car insurance doesn't cover it, guess what? Your renter's insurance covers it because it your, your car was located in a place um, of your rental. And so that's also included. So again, I would definitely recommend to get renter's insurance. I think I said it like 10 times now, but I'm sure you guys get the point. Um, all right, so is parking included with the rent at no additional charge? So believe it or not, apartments do not include free parking with the apartment. Um, some of them, it may look like it, some of them may not, um, but San Francisco being one of them. You should definitely ask if a parking space is included with the rent, meaning no charge, um, and if the parking is assigned. So again, this is another avenue of income, right? This is a business, unfortunately. And so um, I've seen anywhere like we charge 10 bucks, right? So if your rent is $2,000, I'm gonna say, hey, your rent is $2,010 and it includes parking. And you may not know that you're getting charged at an extra parking space or that ex you're being charged for a parking space, but it's included in the rent. It's just something that is, you know, we're required to, to charge um, according to the landlord. Um, or some of them will say, hey, the rent's 2000 and parking's 50 bucks. And so your rent's 2050, right? And some of them will say, well, I don't need a parking space. Well, unfortunately, you know, you're gonna get charged $50 whether you use the space or not. And so, I know a lot of residents that didn't drive and so had to pay that $50. But then what's nice is that when you have guests come over, have them park in your parking space. You pay 50 bucks for it, right? So you might as well just use that uh, at good use. So um, again, all depends on how you look at it. Um, but examples of parking charges are anywhere between 50 to $150. Um, sometimes it's a sign, sometimes it's open, you know, free for all. So you just kind of have to um, ask, you know, what type of parking is included um, for that particular um, apartment. And in Oakland, for example, the residents get charged a percentage city tax on parking spaces. So if you're getting charged $200, Oakland requires a certain percentage to be charged on top of those $200. And then us as an agency has to pay Oakland that uh, city tax on that parking space. Again, if you think the landlords are trying to make income, the city definitely is trying to make income. So this is another avenue of income, again, for, um, unfortunately, you know, to the residents um, of Oakland. So what are the total moving costs when I move in? Okay, so what do we talked about? We talked about your rent. We talked about your deposit. We talked about um, if you have a deposit for a pet, parking, um, although all, all of those fees, um, are now required at the time of moving. Um, so they're going to require you to pay the full month's rent. If again, your deposit, I'm sorry, your rent is $2,000. They're going to say, okay, you're moving in January 15th. I need you to pay 
$2,000 for the rent. I need you to pay um, $500 for your deposit for the apartment. And I need you to pay um, the additional $500 for your pet and an extra $50 for your um, your your fee for the pet, right? So all that is due at move-in. And they're usually going to require a cashier's check, a money order. Um, do not pay cash. And if for some reason you have to pay cash, you have to get a receipt. Please, please, please get a receipt. Um, take a picture with the money with the receipt. I don't care what you do, but please get a receipt. Um, I, but again, I would highly not recommend using cash. Um, at least with the cashier's money order, you can have a record of it. You know, it's coming from your bank account. Can't deny that you didn't pay it because if for some reason you have to go back to court and, you know, the judge or whoever needs to show proof that you paid it, you have proof. You know, rather the landlord doesn't have it, that is not your problem. You have it, you have a receipt. This is what I paid when I moved in. This is what I was told to pay in, you know, and then you can go from there. But um, again, you're going to be required to pay all that stuff. The next month, right? We're now going into February. <clears throat> Excuse me. You're now going to pay a prorated rent from January 15th until January 31st. And so they count the days, right? Between the 15th and the 31st. So you're going to pay less than $2,000 that month. And so um, they do that just so they can get the full month's rent up front. The next month, you'll pay the prorated amount. The third month, you'll start and moving forward, you'll pay the, the $2,000 as required. Um, so that's pretty much how it goes when it comes to um, moving costs and, and, um, and, you know, the way that they require it. And uh, again, you want to make sure that you have your utilities in your name, your renter's insurance, and any additional documents that they're requiring you at move-in. But usually that, those are the, the documents that you need. Another thing that you want to ask, which now we're at number nine, is um, when is rent due and which form of payments do you accept? So keep in mind that rent is due on the first of each month. Now they may provide a grace period where you're able to pay the rent after the first. Usually it's about three to five days is a grace period without a late fee. And it will say that on your rental agreement. It will say, um, you know, rent's due on the first. You have until the fifth to drop it off. The late fee after the fifth will be $50 or it's going to be a percentage of the rent. So after the grace period, um, the late fees will apply and then, or you maybe charge a percentage of the monthly rent, which is what I just said. Um, so definitely ask them when, when is rent due? When is a grace period? And what forms of payment do they accept? Again, no cash, but personal check, cashier's check, credit card. If they have an option to pay rent online, um, always ask for a receipt, uh, always keep records and uh, beware when you pay with credit card, because sometimes they do hire like a third party company to charge the credit card. And then they, unfortunately they charge the fee, not us. We don't get any income from that particular transaction. But that's just for us to allow <clears throat> uh, Visa, MasterCard, you know, whatever type of credit card payment you have. That's just for us to allow um, those payments as rent payments. If not, then you can just stick to personal check or cashier's checks. Perfectly fine. Uh, will my rent increase after my lease expires? Rent number uh, 10 now. When your lease, uh, when you sign a lease for a specific term, rather than six months or 12 months, you're paying a fixed monthly rent for the length of that specific lease term. However, however, 
I'm totally reading my things so you guys. However, your lease expires, you may be asked to pay the new market value of your apartment home. In California, there are rental laws in place that protects renters on how much advanced rent and notice they need to receive a rental increase. If the rent increase is more than 10%, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I don't know why my throat's so dry, you guys. I apologize. Give me one quick second. I really need to like drink water. Okay, thank you. If the rent increase is more than 10% of the current rent, a 60-day written notice is required, 65 days if the notice is mailed. If the rental increase is less than 10% of the current rate, a 30-day written notice is required, 35 days if the notice is mailed. So what does that mean? What did I just tell you? This is probably the number one question I get asked a lot is, um, I got a rental increase and I, I, I think it's unfair, right? And on some cases you're right. And in some cases, unfortunately it's standard in the industry. So what this says is that if you signed a 12 month lease term, again, your rent is 2000, you signed 12 months, the landlord cannot raise your rent within those 12 months, unless a written notice is provided in advance. Now, typically once you sign the lease, we're not even going to try to like increase your rent. It's just like, okay, whatever you sign the lease, we're guaranteed those 12 months, that particular rate. There are some landlords that do that, unfortunately, and they do have a right as long as they provide you the information in writing in the correct period of time, right? But after your lease expires, after the 12 months, then they have the right to increase your rent and they can increase it as high as they want. Again, unfortunately, but again, it has to be within those periods. Um, and if you choose not to sign a lease, then you will go on month to month and you will be required to pay the higher rent. So definitely try to see how you can negotiate your rent or, or, you know, again, this is going to be probably where you have to start looking for an apartment and go through this whole process that we just went through today. Um, but um, I do want to let you know that if your rent is over 10% of your current rental amount, they have to give you a 60 day written notice and it has to be 65 days if it's mailed. 60 days means they hand delivered it to you or they posted it on your door. Or for some reason you walked in the office and they gave it to you, which is shady. I would never do that, but <clears throat> if they just gave it to you. 65 days um, notice is when they mail it to you. It has to be mailed. It has to be stamped that it was mailed. It has to be 65 days from the date of the notice. It has to be 65 days out. If it's under 10%, it has to be 30 days written notice, um, 35 days if it's mailed. Now I apologize, I forgot to look online to see what the current terms are because I know that possibly it may have changed because of COVID. I wanna say that it has now been increased to 90 days written notice, 95 days if it's mailed. So I will definitely look um, up that information for you and I will post it on my Instagram under this posting um, of what that new term is, but I want to say it's not, it may be 90 days because for some reason it's, it's, it's ringing a bell to me that it could be 90 days. Um, so that particular, so this is the, the section on rental increase after your lease expires. So we only have a few more. I know this is long. I'm sorry, you guys, but I really feel like 
you have to know this information, you know, like if you don't know it now, then when, right? And I know that sometimes you want to look up information and then you're like, what do I look for? I don't even know what to look. I don't even know where to start. So now I'm giving you an, an area where to start. Okay. I'm telling you guys the information and then based on your you know, personal circumstance, then you're able to look up, you know, that particular information. So number 11, how much advance notice do I need to provide to move out the apartment? So the minimal, the minimum requirement, uh, to give a, a notice, uh, when you move out an apartment is 30 days. So you sign a 12 month lease and you, you got your rental increase, right? Hopefully in the correct time period. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to move out. This is too expensive. I want to look for a new apartment. The minim minimum requirement that you have to provide a landlord is a 30 day written notice. However, some agreements may require a 60 day notice. Um, so definitely read your lease agreement carefully and make sure you understand the notice requirement. It also doesn't hurt to check your state's rental laws on the minimal minimum notice requirement. I'm going to refer you to consumeraffairs.gov. Um, you want to go under the section notice to terminate tenancy section CC 1946. Again, this is for California. I know that I have a lot of listeners in like Texas and New York um, and other areas of the country. So um, definitely research um, anytime you research information about like security deposit or rental increase in my state or county, there's usually usually a like a center point of website where they're getting this information from. If there's a particular, you know, state or county that you're in and, and you're unable to look up this information, uh, let me know and I can definitely help you um, research, you know, uh, to get this information for your state and county. But in California, it's consumeraffairs.gov. Um, so again, I want you to go into the notice of terms, uh, terminate tenancy. Um, another, another thing I want to tell you guys is that you sign a 12 month lease and you're like, you know what? I didn't give notice and I absolutely have to move out and you don't have any money, right? You're like, I don't, I don't want to pay another dime living in this apartment. I have to move out, whatever your circumstances, right? No judgment. I'm just saying drop the ball. I forgot to give notice. If you turn in your keys on the day your lease expires, again, I'm talking about California. If you um, turn in your keys on the day your lease expires, you know, December 31st, you know, um, 2020, let's just say, you turn in your keys on that day, you're no longer responsible for the apartment. Like that's it. You fulfilled your lease agreement. You have to hand the keys over to the landlord or you have to put it in an envelope, or put it in the rent drop box, whatever that looks like. You physically turn over the unit back to the rental agency or to the landlord. Um, they cannot charge you for another 30 days of rent or 60 days of rent or until someone moves in. You fulfilled your legal contract of um, living in the apartment on the last day of the agreement. You have to submit your keys on that day. Not the day before, not the day after, that particular day. Again, not legal advice. Please consult with your attorney. But I'm just letting you know that in the event you submit your keys on the last day of your lease agreement, we are not supposed to be charging you for an extra month or two of rent. So take that information with what, you know, with what it's worth. Hopefully it helps you one way or another in your uh, current situation. That goes with any agreement, any uh, written agreement that you have in California. So, um, little fun fact for you guys, I guess. Um, 
for that one. And then the last one here is, are there any move out fees that I would need to pay out of my security deposit? Yes and no. So be sure to ask what charges are required to pay at move out. Charges may also include a cleaning fee, a carpet cleaning fee, a final utility bill, damages made to the apartment, either by the tenant or the pet. Um, so just make sure what, you know, what charges are going to be deducted from your um, security deposit. Now, California, good old California, you have a right to a pre-move out inspection and a move out inspection. What the heck is that, right? A pre-move out inse uh, inspection is you schedule a move out with the landlord, the maintenance guy, the agency, whatever that looks like. You um, you schedule a pre-move out inspection for them to walk your apartment and someone on behalf of the landlord is telling you, you have to repaint this room, we have to change the carpet or the carpet has to be clean or there's holes on the walls or this light bulb needs to be replaced, whatever. They're telling you in advance of what you need to repair definitely get that in writing you know there should be like a move out checklist um that was provided to you when you first moved in if not create a new one right um there's plenty of them online um and have someone sign that or fill that out acknowledging that these are the areas that they told you that you need to repair prior to you move out and then on then you're allowed another move out inspection and that's your final inspection Rather, it's the last day of your lease agreement or two days before you move out or whatever day that you schedule. That's the day that you um, are moving out of the apartment. They're going to go in there. They're going to look at it and they're going to see whether you made those repairs or not. And what are you going to be charged for? But then that's also information for us, the agency, to know, okay, I need to hire a painter. I need to hire a carpet cleaner. I need to replace the carpet. You know, I need to um, get a new fridge. I need a new microwave. Like, that gives us an opportunity to see what we need to do um, to prepare the apartment for the new resident coming in. Now, if no one else is moving into that apartment yet and we have some time, then it gives us more time to kind of... Um, renovate the apartment or do some additional repairs. But if someone else is moving in, then we have a very tight window, sometimes seven to 10 days to squeeze all of those um, vendors, you know, in that particular order, uh, particular time frame, I should say. So um, again, this is for us, but then also for you. So you know what's going to be deducted. And then after that's been established, um, the landlord has 21 calendar days after you have vacated the apartment, after you left the apartment, um, to, to provide you with an itemized statement of the damages that are going to be deducted from your security deposit. So you've been told what the security deposit is, you've been told the amount that's gonna be deducted, right? But you haven't received your check yet. I believe in California, as long as the landlord or the agency sends you an itemized receipt in the mail, time stamped within 21 days, they're in the clear. It's not to say that you shouldn't be getting your money back. It's just that that is the required 21 day period that they are required to provide you. And then the check can follow after because, you know, we have a payroll department and then you have to submit checks on certain days and certain months and yada, yada, yada. And I, I totally hate that process myself. So as long as we sent out the statement, um, we're in the clear and the check will follow. Now, I'm sure landlords don't have that. So um, 
they definitely would either have to give you an itemized statement or your check within 21 days. And if they don't, then you can go to consumeraffairs.gov um, and see what the next uh, steps are um, if you need to see your landlord. I mean, that's just the reality of it, right? Like, if that's, you know, if they want to treat it like a business, then this is a business transaction. I paid you a deposit and um, I returned the apartment back in your possession and now I am entitled to my money, right? So if they want to treat it like a business, this is a business. I did not get my money back within the required time frame set in California. So then my next steps, you know, are X, Y, and Z, right? So um, sometimes you can just call your landlord, just give them a reminder. Sometimes they will forget um, but if not, then please visit that website um, so you're able to see what the next steps are um, as far as that. But you can refer to section um, CC 1950.5 under security deposit. And that's going to tell you everything you need to know about security deposits in California, what they're allowed to charge you, what they're not allowed to charge you, and the time frame and so forth. So those are my top, they're 12, 12 long frequent asked questions um, when renting an apartment. Now, as you can see, it is a very long process, right? Like a lot of people think that, oh, I applied for the apartment, they're taking forever, or I applied for it and, and what's going on, or they're being overcharged, or they're being nitpicky, or I mean, I'm explaining it to you both from a renter point of view and from an agent who works for the landlord, right? Um, and there's reasons why, you know, um, there's reasons why these procedures take place. And it's either because it has happened somewhere in California, someone got sued, and now it's a policy, right? Now it's an ordinance. Now, you know, it's a law <clears throat> among everything else. And so, um, so I hope this information really helps you out. Um, the next topic that I definitely want to talk about um, is uh, the Immigration Tenant and Protection Act. And I'm going to touch on it briefly because um, I definitely feel like it should be another episode in itself. Definitely let me know what you guys think. But this one talks about, um, it's actually AB 291 and AB 299. And this was passed in 2008. Um, and I'm sorry, 2018. And this is known as the Immigration Tenant Protection Act. And this is why I do my housing education workshops, you know, for undocumented communities, because when you're undocumented, um, you know, there's a lot of obstacles that you come across when it comes to renting an apartment, getting a job, you know, attending school, you know, I know those obstacles exist, right? So this particular act um, protects undocumented individuals who are applying for an apartment. And um, at the end of the day, it's basically saying that the landlord cannot ask you your set, your citizenship status um, with regards to applying for an apartment. It prohibits a landlord from threatening to disclose information um, to any type of agency um, due to an immigration or citizenship status. Um, it prohibits the landlord from inquiring about or disclosing information um, about an immigration, uh, immigration or citizenship status. Um, it, uh, it prohibits the landlord from denying you to apply because of your immigration and citizenship status. Um, and 
it is unlawful for um it is prohibited um unlawful to because i'm reading it right now um for you to not uh apply or it's unlawful for you to apply and be denied for federal affordable housing program because of your immigration citizenship status so Again, it's, it's a lot because I definitely want to go over this in more detail, but um, if I can give you one advice for this is that if you're undocumented, you have every right to apply um, for housing. And right now I'm just referring to California because this is what my expertise is um, in working in California. But when we have an applicant who is undocumented, um, we're not checking a box that says, oh, this person doesn't have a social security or this person does not have a citizenship or whatever that looks like. We're not doing that. We um, are um, trained um, to just enter basic information that says nothing about you being undocumented or, or referring to your um, citizenship status. And you will be approved based on the information provided. Name, birthday, you know, um, address, employment, income, and so forth, right? Now, the credit agencies are going to approve you based on the information that matches. Does your name match the address that we have on file? Do you have sufficient rental and credit history with this name and address on file? Things like that. But it does not deny you because of your status um, here in the United States. So, if you guys are interested in this topic, I've been more than happy to focus or to dedicate an episode on, um, you know what, I'm just going to do it. Like, I really feel like it, it, it needs to be done um, because, again, this is the reason why I created my Bail of Housing division um, is to provide this information. And also, there's a lot of updated information that protects LGBTQ communities, um, binary, like, um, the applications, you know, before used to be like, you have to check male and female. Now they're supposed to be kind of, um, it, it should not be like displayed on the application anymore. And so those are the things that I want to update you guys, because it's very important, especially with the way the, the community that we have, we need to support each other. Right. Um, so again, I just want to make sure that you have, you guys have all of this information and so I'm going to dedicate an episode on um, Immigration Tenant and Protective uh, Protection Act um, about undocumented uh, individuals applying for housing. So the information that I provided to you now applies to everyone. Again, does not matter of your status, right? But there's particular um, acts and policy in place to protect you if you are undocumented. So I want to give you guys hope that if you are undocumented, you can apply for housing. And if a landlord or someone is telling you that you are getting declined because you don't have a social or because of your status, that is bullshit. And I would definitely recommend for you to consult an attorney and get legal advice and contact for housing and get everybody involved because um, again, there are policies in place to protect you because of that. And I'm very passionate about that. And I will be damned if someone gets declined because of that. So again, I'm going to take a breather because I know that you guys have been holding on to me for a long time and I appreciate um, you guys listening to my podcast and watching me on Instagram with this video. Um, I hope that you guys enjoy the housing series um, of Latinas with Masters. I will definitely 
create more of this content um, for you guys um, as we progress through the semester, as we progress through the year, as policies in place continue to be changed. Um, you know, I definitely want to dedicate an episode about COVID and the CARES Act and how that's protecting you guys. And I know that I didn't include it in this, um, but right now um, you're not required to pay rent um, and you should not be uh, evicted right now, you know, and today is what, January 4th, 2021. Um, so I believe you have at the end of this month um, to pay rent um, that has not been collected to the landlord. So um, again, that's a no, whole nother topic. As you can see, it's 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 not as easy as as it as we all may seem it could be. But I hope that I made this um, process a little bit um, easier for you to understand and to um, apply for housing, apply for that apartment. You know, if it's something that you really want, you know, stay educated, um, know your rights, know that you have every right to apply for an apartment and for housing or or um, whatever, you know, your situation may be. And so um, I hope you guys enjoy the series. I wanna thank you guys for your time. Um, definitely feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions. You can email me at latinaswithmasters at gmail.com. You can also DM me if you have any questions. I try to be as responsive as possible. I apologize if I'm not as responsive because I do have a four-year-old who likes to play Roblox on my phone and it gets hijacked. And so um, I'm going to try to be very good at responding to everyone as, as best as I can. Um, and so sometimes you'll see the late night uh, uh, responses. But again, thank you for your time. And I hope you guys have a blessed day. Take care, you guys. Bye.